Welcome to the Field of 12 After Dark Show, Sirius XM, ESPNU. Y'all can call me dirty from now on because I plan on getting dirty with George's ass. Let the nuts hang. I'll give you the politically non-correct answer. The lights went out. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry. It's Dabo doing the gritty. The old man, I'm screaming at kids to get off his lawn. Well, you never know what the hell is going to go on in Morgantown. You get off the bus, it smells like straight whiskey. Cheers, boys. Let's ride. Let's go. The dark, the college football show, talking everything uh, that's going on in this sport. We got a big day today. Um, I'm your host, Michael Felder. Um, we're powered by Bet Rivers. You can find us on the Sirius XM app, and obviously, we're live via YouTube and Twitter. And, and I've got a couple of superstars joining me again. Field of Twelve after dark. Trevor Knight, Oklahoma quarterback, A and M quarterback, Field of Twelve college football analyst. Uh, Trevor, what's up, man? Not much, man. Rolling through the week. We're halfway there. Halfway in the past, halfway in the future, no better place to be than uh, right here tonight. We're starting to learn who teams are, or not starting. We should know who teams are is the point here. Uh, we also have Jake Butt, Big Ten Network, Stadium Constable Analyst. Uh, you can find him, I think, the best Twitter handle, Booty 88 What's up, big dog? Doing good, man. Hey, listen, it's it's Michigan, Michigan State. I know we're going to talk some Big Ten. It's Ohio State, Penn State. It's that halfway point in the season, too. Things are starting to reveal themselves which is great. Listen, before we get to toast of the night, can you guys give me one sentence on what your body feels like when you're going into week nine of the college football season? This is, I'll start first, Jake. I'll I'll jump the gun here. For me, it was always, if we had our bye week right now, it was a breath of fresh air. Right in the middle of the season, first half behind us, let's focus on the second half. Let's, Let's heal up all those things. If we haven't got to our bye week yet, it's, boys, push through one more week. We got this. We're almost there. It's a, it's a grind. This is the part of the season where you really start to feel it, both physically, individually, but also as a team. Everybody's got some bags under their eyes. Everybody's walking a little bit slower. Who can step up to the plate and give maximum effort? to go for this stretch here uh, as November approaches quickly. I would, I would really say um, th- there's a certain point though, like you kind of start the season off at a hundred percent and then throughout the year, you're just trying to each week, keep it as close to that hundred, just knowing you're going to drop down. There's a certain point where like you're, you become accustomed to the soreness though. Yes. It's just something you're used to. Like it's not like week one, week two is actually probably the most painful because you're not as you're not used to that soreness, but then week seven, week eight, you kind of settle into it. The biggest thing though, is like you show up to camp, you're taking a bunch of creatine, a bunch of protein, you're blown up, you're strong. (laughs) Then you just don't lift throughout the season. And then by now, like your muscle mass is down, like you're not squatting, you're not bench pressing. It's the strength that kind of starts to uh, dwindle throughout the season. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you guys. As someone who was on non-travel squad, they keep they keep us lifting, baby. And they keep four days a week, baby. Heavy (laughs) squat. You had the get rights on Friday? Oh, we, oh my, I'm glad you brought that up because yes. And you know what? I'm going to go with toast of the night and I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to, I'm going to go to those Friday beatdowns because those Friday beatdown lifts are a monster. So shout out to every guy who's red shirting, every guy who's on non-travel squad, every guy who's got to do those Friday beatdowns. I'm a toast to you. That is a great one. I pivoted, but you made a great point. <laughs> All right, I gotta I gotta tell a quick story on that one. 
My twin brother. I got a twin brother who played with me, walked on at OU, lettered all four years, traveled to every single game, was on the travel squad, played in big-time games, ended up earning a scholarship, the whole deal. Three years of developmental workouts where he was max heavy squatting on Friday and playing significant snaps on Saturday. So that's an extra little toast to my brother, Connor Knight, if you're listening out there, cheers to you, brother. That's great. Um, so my toast is, you know, this week is Michigan, Michigan State week, yeah. and I work for the Big Ten Network. So I've had to sit there and be professional as I watch the the trouble with the snap, which I happen to be the guy that tackled Jalen Watts Jackson into the end zone. Yeah. Um, it literally, I, I think I had the most disgusted look on my face unknowingly, just reliving that moment. That being said, there's always winners and losers in football. It's a guarantee that, that you're going to get punched in the mouth at some point. You're going to lose. Yes. How do you respond? How do you respond? Because it's inevitable that you lose. It's inevitable that you have a bad play, that you make a serious mistake. How do you respond? Some people throw in the towel. Some people stop trying going forward so they can always have the excuse, oh, well, I wasn't trying. Others just accept that and they respond. So as we go down the stretch of the season, man, there's teams that think that they deserve to be in the playoff, that they deserve to do this or that. Not everyone is going to get where they think they deserve to be. How do you respond when you get punched in the face? My toast is the guys that overcome. There we go. Cheers. Let's go, boys. All right, I'm taking this a personal route tonight. And since it is – You already did one. Big Ten on this show. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it in the Big Ten. Um, but this is – this is like healing of the wounds. I finally come to my senses. I'm a bigger man, and he, he doesn't need my forgiveness, but I'm going to forgive Brett Bielema at Illinois. When we played him, I was at AM. He was the head coach at Arkansas, and he said some things about me as a player that made me want to curl up on a ball and cry. We put it to him, and, and I played really good that night, but he doesn't think I'm a really good player. He probably doesn't think I'm a really good person. He may not even like me, but he's a heck of a ball coach, and he's getting it done at Illinois. So I'm going to be the bigger man. Brett Bielema, heck of a season so far. I hope you finish up on the right side of that West. Cheers to you, my friend. Thanks. Hope we get to meet one day, and uh, I'll buy you a beer. I love it. Listen, I love that Trevor double dips on this one. He gets his brother in, and then he gets also Brett Bielema in. So we got that. We got a little double dip. I love it, but we got a lot to get through. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to talk about the Big Ten battles because we got Ohio State, Penn State. We got Michigan State, Michigan, as you mentioned, Jake. We also have uh, Illinois at Nebraska, which is going to be very interesting. And I'm going to throw this one in here. We got Northwestern at Iowa. Is anyone ex who's excited about that one? I guess can we can we just do the? You know what? Let's get this one off our plate quick. Jake, Northwestern, Iowa. In a, points? in a sick way, I'm loving it. I'm, I, so I called I called Northwestern um, Maryland last week, and Northwestern went with a change at quarterback. Instead of Ryan Holinsky, it was Brendan Sullivan under center. Mm -hmm. And the big difference is, is Holinsky's kind of a pocket passer. And he looked great. Remember the Nebraska game? You're like, okay, sure. wow, Northwestern's looking. They, they were, they were, they were to playing start really, the really well. Yeah. And then it's been mistakes, fumbles, interceptions, turnovers to eventually um, Coach, Fitch, Coach Fitz had to go with another quarterback. He went with Brendan Sullivan. The difference with Brendan Sullivan is, is he adds another element to their offense. That right. dude made some plays with his feet that, you know, were, were 
pretty fun to watch. And they added another element. The thing about Northwestern is, is they're not going to line up and just beat you schematically with their talent on offense. So the way you mitigate that is you have a quarterback that can create when the talent doesn't win on the first beat. He's going to extend plays. He's going to run it with his feet. And he showed that in the game. The problem was is there was critical errors down the stretch of the game, namely an interception coming out of half when they were moving the ball, a chance to take control of the game. He throws a pick. Maryland then goes and scores, and they take control of the game. The thing about this game, I do not trust Iowa's offense. I don't know that anyone trusts Iowa's offense. Who can? If you're Brendan Sullivan, can you remain disciplined enough to not make the big mistake? Because if you don't make the big mistake, truly you can win this game. If you just punt it, who's to say you can't win this game? But if you make the big mistake, Iowa's defense is going to capitalize. It's so crazy to me how good their defense is. And it's so much harder to be a good defense when you're on the field as often as they are and when your backs are against the wall as often as they are. It's, it's even more impressive how good their defense has been. Trevor, what do you what do you think when you when you look at that? When you you, you like you you know you've got to be perfect as a quarterback, and perfect doesn't even mean you have to be like throw for five hundred yards. It means no interceptions, don't fumble a snap, don't do this. If you're Northwestern, what are you doing? Yeah, I, you know I look at this game, and I'm a little I, I'm a little different than Jake. I'm like I'm probably not going to watch a second of this game. I'm not a big thing guy, but I will say this historically Northwestern has always risen to the occasion. They've always overperformed in my opinion. I think Pat Fitzgerald's absolutely fantastic in the culture that he's, that he's, that he's had there over years and years and years. Um, Iowa, after watching them at the beginning of the season, like you guys said, I, I am shocked that they have a chance here to win their fourth game of the season. That's how bad I thought they were. They do have a great defense, and that's what's getting them through. Um, it, it really it, it is going to come down to who can make the least amount of mistakes, and it is sad because Jake just said it a second ago, to punt the ball in this game is not a bad thing. If you're punting and not turning it over, you're going to put yourself in a position to win this football game at the end of the day, and uh, – Jake, have fun watching this one, man, because I'm going to be watching some different games. <laughs> they, and and uh, for the Iowa fans, if you ever if you ever watch their games at home, they got fans and they pan to them as a camera crew. They find them. I came here for the punter. They have this Australian punter yeah. that's like an absolute legend there. He's, he's, a, stud. he's, he's a stud. I was I called Iowa, Illinois, and it was like the battle of the punters. Um, Tommy DeVito went down, so they had to put yeah. in their backup quarterback, and it just became a punt fest, and it was just hilarious. These guys were just pinning each other back inside the five all day long. It was like literally like watching 1940s football all over again. I, I Listen, I love it. As a defensive guy, come on. That's what I want, baby. Inject it into my veins. Let's go. And, and I'll say this. We don't need I, the ball. <laughs> I believe that we have on the field of 68.com, we have merchandise, and I believe we have a shirt that honors the punter at Iowa says something like punt to win something like that. So go to field 68.com, get your merchandise, support Iowa punting. Here's field my of thing. Six, field of 68 dot shop. Dot shop. Excuse okay. shop, baby. So they, Sam Laporte is a very, very good tight end. He is. Luke Lachey is a very good tight end and he's got good football in his blood. He's the son of Jim Lachey, a legendary Buckeye offensive lineman. Why, why are those guys collectively not getting 13 targets a game? 
If you're going to drop back 18, 20 times a game, those you know two why. get two-thirds of the targets. You know force why. It. You know no, why. Why? I don't. Because the quarterback can't – it doesn't matter if it's Padilla or Petrus. They can't get them the football. <laughs> they know those are the guys that they're going to – if the difference between Iowa and those, two, those tight ends you mentioned and Notre Dame and Michael Mayer is – for some reason, everyone understands that you have to cover Iowa's tight ends. And with the exception of Stanford, no one understands that you should maybe cover Michigan's – or excuse me, Notre Dame's tight end. Like, that's the difference is it's – they they're covered. Those guys are – no, and I guess the reality is no They're all about, covered, though, in Iowa. No one's worried about over the top. I've got a theory. True. I've got a theory. Uh, what, when was National Tight End Day, Jake? Was it this past weekend? Week? Hey, coming off this past weekend, maybe we see a little different difference right. coming into this week. And I'll ask you, Jake, you're tight end. Yeah. Did you do anything special for National Tight End Day? Uh, I, I had Travis Kelsey on my fantasy team, so I, I just sat there back with a big <laughs> smile on my face watching him just do what he does, putting up his points. Travis play by play, George Kittle in the same game. Oh, national Greg, Greg Olson on the call. It was and it Greg was Olson on the call. I mean, that is absolutely fantastic. I mean, listen, um, I live friend, in I live in Charlotte, dude. Greg Olson is a dude. He's a legend. He is. Well, how about uh, now? Christian McCaffrey's gone, huh? Yeah, that's rough. What's What's your name? G Reg. Because oh, you guys don't know about that. You're too young. You're a little too. That's it. You know what? That's another story for another day. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. But now, here's, what, here's what I want to get into. So we've got a lot of stuff to get in. We've got a lot of things to talk about. We're going to talk about Ohio State, Penn State. We're going to talk about Michigan State at Michigan. But I want to start out with, we look at these undefeated teams. Where do we put these undefeated teams? We're going to do a little exercise here and we can talk through it. We can go one by one. Like, let's go. Like, where do we put these undefeated teams? Going into what is it, week nine? We're going into week nine. Yeah. So where do we put these? So I'm gonna start with you, Trevor. Yep. Number one. Who's number who do you think is the number one undefeated team? So this is this is debatable. So I, I'm obviously it's debatable. I'm gonna go with who I think is the is the team that is currently playing the best football in the country. I don't Okay. This is right. I don't think that this is the team that's going to win at all. They're just playing the best football in the country right now. Oh, hang on. Time out. Can we guess now? Now that yes. he said that, Jake, can we guess? Yeah. Yes. Are you going to say TCU? No. Okay. I, I I'm think not that much of a Big Twelve homer. Come I on. think you're going to say Tennessee. I am. But I'm going to but I'm going to disagree with you about what you're saying though. Okay. And, and okay, so I have to add another element to it. Playing the best football, okay, you could argue that. Playing the, uh, maybe having the most exciting um, season, a lot of stuff going around Knoxville. Uh, everybody wants to tune in because it's kind of the Cinderella story. You are a big logo, but it's still fun to follow. So maybe yeah. they're the most fun to follow, and I think they do have a shot. I mean, I, I'm not counting them out. If they if they play well yeah. against Kentucky and they play well against Georgia, then man, there there's a real good shot that they could make a run at it. Now I don't believe that's true. So I'm making this answer way too long to start off here, Felder. Um, I, I'm going to say that Ohio State is my favorite team to win it all and is the best team in the country. We got to put you got to put one team at one, one team at one. 
Ohio State. Okay. And you know what? And I'll be really short here so we can give Jake more time because I also go Ohio State. Well, I, I think that, Trev, like it's like, hey, who's playing the best football? I would say Ohio State probably has the strongest case to say we're playing the best team football. I will go with Tennessee because I think they have the more impressive wins at this point in the season. Uh-huh. And I have to wait. You, you have to beat the best to be the best. And Tennessee's done that. I mean, Ohio State's got the better defense, comparable offenses, um, you know, pick your poison. But um, I would just say at this point, Tennessee, you have to have them at number one because of who they've beat at this point in the season. So we got two Ohio State guys. We got Tennessee. I go Tennessee at two because I of all the things that you said, I also love, like, if we want to go dive a little bit into it, that speed and space offense it forces you to declare from a defensive standpoint. And we've talked about that with Clint Sterner before, and we, we've talked about it on Field of 12. Um, folks, make sure you check us out on the SiriusXM app and obviously uh, on the YouTube channel. But it's one of those things where it makes you declare. And the way that I try to describe it, I had dinner um, Monday with my buddy Spencer Hall, um, EDSBS, and, and, and Richard Johnson, and – I was showing them, I was using beer bottles at the wing spot that we were at. And I was showing them where if there's a corner, cor- if you're in dime, right? You're a dime in dime with Tennessee and they got guys outside the numbers. Corner, corner, money, money. And then at least one high safety, five guys are gone. They're gone. They don't belong to you anymore. And then if you move your running back wide, whether it's an angle route, a circle, whatever it is, that running, but that linebacker's got to go with it. And then you have Hendon Hooker. Hooker can run. So you got a spy. So all you have are four guys that can run, four guys that are rushing the passer. And then you've got somebody that's got to try to spy him. And I just love that about them. Speed and space works. Trevor, get you, let's, you got Tennessee at number two as well, right? So just no, give me I a, don't. I don't. No, oh, woo! <laughs> I don't. I, and, and here's why. Here's why. Again, it, it's how you answer it. I am. I think it's foolish to not put Georgia at number two. Okay. Because they are the unblemished defending national champion that's playing in a really stiff side of a conference. Now, I get it. They haven't played Ooh. Tennessee yet. But are they beatable? Yes. Are they still unblemished and the defending national champion? Yes. They have been there before. They have weathered the storm. How are we going to put an unblemished former national champion beyond the top two? That, that's what my chest tells me, and that's why I'm putting him at number two. Jake is shaking his head. Can't wait to respond to that. Let's do it. Get in there. Get in there. And guess what? I'm probably not going to disagree with you, but I'm going to disagree with you before you even start. All right. I, I Listen, Georgia, there is a strong case for them to be number two. I'll never get mad at someone be, be, for ranking them at two. But the way you played against Kent State is not a number two rated team in the country. The way you played with Missouri, not a number two rated team in the country. You, Your marquee win is Oregon. 
Well, that was a new head coach, Dan Lemming, Dan Lenning's first game where yeah. he traveled halfway across the country mm-hmm. or the way Oregon's playing right now. That's a different ball team. I would Completely. wonder what would happen Same if Oregon they played team. Oregon in Oregon or up in the Northwest. I would wonder what happened if they played them right now. Um, again, I, there is a case to be made with or, or, uh, Georgia too. But based on the way they've played in moments this season and in the context of their big win with Oregon, I just can't put them at two right now. I can't. I think they could have a case to finish the season number one if they keep winning. My number two, it went Tennessee. Ohio State was close second. And then I went with Michigan at three. Wow. And Georgia at four. And I had Georgia at four. Can I ask a question based off of my number two there at Georgia? And Felder, I want your input here too. Is is would you look at somebody that's saying, and they may even be a Georgia grad, and they're saying Georgia's the best team in the country. We haven't been beaten. We we won the national championship, and here's why. Is there any case that Georgia is the best team in the country over the rest of this slate? For me, no. Okay, I agree. I agree with that. I here's the thing. Here's what I'll say, Jake. I know you want to get in here, but I, here's what I'm going to say. I think they could be. I think they have work to do. And the biggest thing for me, and this is something I, I understand this. I know people don't like this about me, but I look at how good you should be versus how good you are. Hmm. And I feel like Georgia could be a little better. And that's the part that people don't like to hear. But for me, when I watch them play, I see missed opportunities, right? I see missed chances, whether it's from a wide receiver standpoint, whether it's from not giving Darnell Washington enough enough touches. And I love Brock Bowers; I think he's fantastic. And I've had to I've had to have this discussion with a million Georgia fans uh, when I say that Michael Mayer is, and I said arguably the best tight end, arguably, which means it's worth arguing because Brock Bowers also might be the best tight end. But I'm willing to argue either one of those guys is the best tight end, arguably. So understand what words mean. But the, the, the point that I'm the, – the point here is they show stretches where they expand the offense, where they push the offense, where they go a little vertical, where they challenge you. And then there's other stretches where they try to kind of pack it in and get things done. And then defensively, they're never going to be as good as they were a year ago. Jake, I'll let you get in here. I don't want to dominate. Like, you, yeah. Go ahead. Well, all, all I would say, I, I just think it depends on how you ask the question. Like, who is the number one team right. is different than who deserves to be the number one team or based on the what they've team. done this point? Like, all and right, who's hey, who's going to finish the year? The number one, or who's going right. to finish the yeah. year's number one? Those are what? Those are all completely different questions, and I don't know the right approach. I would say at this point in the season, you just go off the body of work. Because that's right. all you have. Like, hey, who, what, what have you done at this point? That's how we'll rate it. Then when you talk about the college football playoff, then you start to say, all right, who's the best four total? But I, I, don't, I don't know. It's a complex answer. You know, like Georgia has a case that they're, they are the number one sure. team, right? Because they still haven't lost. Well, Correct. Well, you, you talk about body of work. TCU arguably You're has right. the best body of work. Right. You're point. right. But I believe if TCU goes up against – the top four that, Jake, you just mentioned, I think we're all in agreement with, Ohio State, Georgia, Tennessee, Michigan. Are we all in agreement those are the top four? Correct. Or is somebody throwing Clemson in there? No. 
No, I can live. I can live with this. I can. I'm fine. I'm not. You know what? I'm not. Okay. I'm not going to rock the boat, baby. All right. He wanted to rock the boat, <laughs> but uh, I don't think that TCU goes and beats either of those top four, and, and I don't think they beat Clemson. I think TCU is is the last in this group of unbeaten's, and that's really to me just because I think that. It's a first-year head coach. I don't think they have the firepower, so on and so forth. But I could be proven wrong very quickly. I you don't think you could be Clemson. You don't think they have the firepower? I, I, I don't. Against these teams, I don't. I would probably pick TCU to beat Clemson, to be fully honest with you. They've got wide receiver one in the NFL draft for 2023. I'll say that right now. I have no problem saying it. Quentin Johnston is wide receiver one. Max Duggan has played a ton of football, and he's grown into – Duggan's going to New York. He, yeah. No. No. <laughs> yeah. Do not say that. Yes. There is no way. There's no absolute way he's going to New York. You like bourbon? I love yeah. bourbon. Bottle of bourbon on it. Bottle of bourbon. Pick, pick what kind of bourbon you want. Virtual shake. Boom. I if he it. stays healthy – He's in New York. And oh, I don't care what no, happens. Now we're getting happens. into ifs, ands, and buts. Max Duggan will not be in New York. There's right. too many great players. All right. They not keep happening. winning. They keep bottle winning. Bottle of bourbon. Bottle I'm of bourbon. A respectable bottle of bourbon. All right. Woodford. Yeah. Woodford. Woodford's, Woodford. Woodford's a great – that's a great – that's a great bourbon bet, Woodford. I love Woodford. Uh, you can't beat Clint Sterner's uh, sending me a bottle of Woodford right now. I'll just flip it around if, if I lose, which I'm not going to. I'm getting two yeah. bottles of Woo! bourbon. Woo! Let's go. So, well, here's what I want to get to. So, we talked, we talked about TCU. We haven't talked much about Clemson. What are we doing? So, and I want to get to you first, Trevor. What's up with this quarterback situation? Man, it's um, It's interesting. You know, DJ went out this past game and yanked him. Yeah. Um, which is uh, interesting. And, and I use that word very carefully. I think it's an sure. interesting move given what Dabo Sweeney said on the field immediately following the game. Yep. Fans are rushing the field. He said, make no mistake, DJ is our guy. Our guy. Yep. Um, I, I think that's publicity stunt. Uh, to some degree. I think that's a, hey, I don't really know who's going to be our guy. We're going to say that so that the guy that's been our guy still has confidence no right. matter which direction we go. Because we didn't see enough of Cade Klubnik to really see. I mean, they came in, they handed the ball off to Shipley. They got the exactly. job. You know, but I will say this. I watched Cade Klubnik in the uh, Texas 6A state championship game he is playing for Todd Dodge, um, who's mm-hmm. playing with his son, Riley Dodge. Austin Westlake, Southlake Carroll, if you know Texas high school football, those yeah. are huge powerhouses. Cade Klubnik against Quinn Ewers in the state championship mm-hmm. game. Cade Klubnik, to me, was light years above Quinn Ewers in that game. In that game. Sure. The way he handled himself, the plays that he made – with his both his arm and his feet, the way he um, uh, got his team to rally around him. I was incredibly impressed, and I've heard nothing but good things about what he's done in practice and in the offseason since sure. he's been on campus at Clemson. I, I think they would be fine either way. It's going to come up to a decision between Dabo Sweeney and that staff to say, hey, 
Are we ready to take a calculated chance on Cade Klubnik to move forward? Or do we stick with our guy that's been good, not great? Uh, He's not a Deshaun Watson. He's not a Taj Boyd. But DJ's played good football. Um, that's That's a tough decision. Maybe one of the toughest, in my opinion, in the country right now. Jake, before you get in here, I, I have two things. And I want to get Trevor first, and then I want to get you. So I think there, there are two things here. One, DJ came out coming out of high school. He was up there with CJ Stroud and Bryce Young coming out of high school. The first year that he was there when he had to go in for Trevor Lawrence, he looked lights out. Mm-hmm. Are we worried about the weapons? And it's not so much DJ. And then the other part, and this is something I want to get from you, Jake, What's the difference like from a for a quarterback that can he can move, but he has buildup speed. He doesn't have the immediate speed. We saw Deshaun Watson immediate speed, right? On zone read. Trevor Lawrence, even on zone read. Obviously, you referenced Taj Boyd as well. Zone read. Kate Klubnick does more zone read. What he needs is that inverted veer, quarterback power. What does that change for you if you're a tight end? It changed for you as an offensive lineman, as a blocker. So let's let's get into those two things because I think that's the part of Clemson that we've got to figure out. Yeah, you know, I think DJ's a re- a really good football player. I think he's a great quarterback. I think most programs in the country would be very excited to have him because he is pretty consistent. He makes really good plays and he's pretty consistent. But it's it's a it's a it's an uphill climb there. Yeah, he may not have the surrounding cast around him, but to me, he just lacks a little bit of that it factor that we saw in a Deshaun Watson, that we saw in a Taj Boyd, that we saw in a Trevor Lawrence that have worn the same threads that he wears. Um, I, I think, and again, this is a gamble. I think a calculated gamble, but I think that Cade Klubnik has that it factor that those two guys have had. But we saw Dabo Sweeney make these decisions before when he yes. put Trevor Lawrence into the game. So he this is Kelly his Bryant. first rodeo, right? This is not his first rodeo at all. Him benching DJ this week and putting in Cade tells me he has a ton of confidence in his freshman quarterback. And that's why I think it's a calculated risk. And whatever direction they go, he's going to make the right decision, right? And, and in my personal opinion, it's Cade. Jake, thoughts there? Um, I, I think for for DJ, I, I actually think he's been less consistent because we we've seen his ceiling. I, you know, you go back to the Wake Forest game. How many? How long were we seeing the highlights of that game? Some of the throws he made, and you're like, oh man, all right, this was his breakout game. This kid's unbelievable, right? So he's got a high ceiling, but then the floor there's a large, large gap there, and in any given week, he can fall in between it. And it's like, man, you have to make the hard decision as Dabo, like, hey, our guy isn't meeting the ceiling. We hope on any given week he meets the ceiling. We have to make a decision to win. Um, You'd like to see – and even in that Wake Forest game, you did see the it factor. Like some of those plays where he's wrapped up and he's got to make a throw, you know, looking like a dangerous – day. he made made some big throws. But how do you do that consistently is is the question. I'm I'm kind of interested, though – the politics of a of a of a position of a depth chart change. Yeah. You see it in the NFL because there's a heavy investment in money. 
you know, now with NIL and with the transfer portal, there's a serious political game to be played in terms of these decisions within the within the program. You kind of hit on this, Trevor, like the, the the political aspect of how Dabo handled it. I mean, DJ's comments after the game, he kind of handled it well. He handled it really, really well. He's like, hey, yeah. you know, I would have benched myself, too. But like, hey, man, you know, some donors probably, you know, right, you know, finding a way to get a company to pay your quarterback. Well, if you bench him, that donor's not going to be too happy, is he? He's going to be like, yeah. hey, man, you know, I thought we needed to get this guy a check. Bojangles. It's it's just the truth of it. So um, th- there's a lot of politics that go into these decisions. It, it, it's a lot deeper than who is the best player on any given week. But that's also why your coach, your head coach gets paid eight, nine, ten million dollars at these schools is you have to make those decisions. You have to also deal deal with it when you make the wrong decision. Well, Jake, I want to get it. What what is it? What's the can you take people through the difference between a quarterback? Because to me, DJ Uyangalele, he's a lot more JT Barrett than he is Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence. And that doesn't, and I think JT Barrett was one of the finest quarterbacks that we've seen. But can you take us through the mindset? Like you've played, you know, you, you played next to the offensive line, right? You played an inline tight end. The difference between working like a power run game versus zone run game. So, so I would say this, uh, Feld, is like it doesn't hit because it happens so fast in the game and it's so unexpected. It doesn't hit you. Like you kind of at some point with one quarterback, your coordinator has an identity and he's calling plays and you start to get into a flow of it. And then you go to the backup and maybe the backup does some things differently. And then all right. of a sudden it's this slow process. The difference between zone scheme and in gap scheme zone scheme is more lateral. Yes. Right. It's more lateral. Like we have to step lateral lateral and then we work vertical right it's a zone we're working a zone my zone is to the right everyone's stepping a zone to the right gap scheme is we have a gap so a gap you can it's much more aggressive it's downhill you just step into your gap you can almost close your eyes and say if any color shows in this gap i'm hitting it and i'm clearing it out so it's a it's it's a different technique and it depends on what your players are more comfortable with zone scheme might be considered a little bit more passive and a little bit more technical where gap says, Hey, gap can clean up a lot of trash. We're just going to block the gap. And then we'll have a polar come around and a fullback or somebody else to clear out outside. I'll tell you where it's different from, from an offensive line standpoint. And and I was this guy, I was um, especially as a young guy, Zone scheme, gap scheme, like you said, all up front, same deal, whether the quarterback keeps it or not, off a read, off an in, whatever, right? Those receivers outside are blocking it up for the keep. Everybody inside's doing their job, whether the running back gets it or the quarterback keeps, gets it. Where yeah. it makes a difference to me, and Jake, you tell me if I'm wrong, is when you have an undisciplined athletic quarterback that drops back in the pocket and escapes too early to where these tackles – are, are kick setting and they're building this pocket for a quarterback to step up in and he gets happy feet. And next thing you know, he's blocking the guy and now he's pushing him in the direction that now he's chasing his quarterback, getting out on the edge. That's where you see a quarterback that's undisciplined, but has some athletic ability, put your offensive line in a bind. Cause they're like, dude, 
we are trying our hardest to make this pocket right. for you and kicking deep so that you can step up and, and you're like, all right, I, I got scared. I'm getting out of there quickly because you're not disciplined enough. It, it's a fine line to be an athletic quarterback. And you see some of the best of it. Step up, step up, keep your eyes downfield, and then use your legs to go through the B gap or, or to weave up the field and get 10 yards or whatever else. So um, I think that's where you're going to see the biggest difference. And, um, and I, I don't know, I hadn't watched enough of DJ what that example there uh but i think we could all agree a little inconsistent and uh, and probably a little bit of happy feet um immaturity in the pocket so no i'm i'm i that's why i'm asking you guys it's it's, it's really this is the stuff i love to talk about so we're going to talk about the big 10 right now right we're, we're a little past halfway through the show we got Ohio State at Penn State. We got Michigan State at Michigan. We've already covered the bonus Northwestern at Iowa. So we've got three of these games to hit through. And I want to get through this. Ohio State at Penn State. This is their first test of the season. Are we worried about Ohio State, Jake? No, I'm not worried about them. But this is a good test, another benchmark. Um, again, it, it comes down to what – I'm not worried about Ohio State's offense at all, though we can talk about the challenges that Penn State's defense presents. But sure. this is more about – do we love Joey Porter Jr.? Yes, and Kalen King. Yeah. And I think th those two guys are both towards the top of the country in pass breakups throughout the season. And when you look at Joey Porter Jr., this dude had, like, his arms are so <laughs> unbelievably long. It's a little thing. You ever wonder why, as a fan, you're like, why do they care so much about wingspan and arm length at the combine? Well, it's because when you watch this guy get into press coverage, it's problems. When you watch this guy downfield, when he turns his head around to redirect the ball, his range in which he can bat the ball down is so high. The key in this game, though, is it, PBUs aren't going to cut it, pass breakups. It has to be INTs. It's yeah. got to be INTs. On the flip side, for Ohio State, it depends on what offense shows up. Because when Sean Clifford's playing well, that's a pretty darn good Penn State offense. But when Sean Clifford makes the mistakes, it's like that's not a very good. They're not they're not Iowa like last week, but they're not a great offense. Right. If Sean Clifford if Sean Clifford shows up and Penn State is playing good football offensively, this will be the best offense that Ohio State defense has faced all season. So it's yeah. a benchmark they haven't had yet. We'll see who wins. Trevor, what do you got? Because for me, when I look at this football game, I just I I. I the biggest thing for me, and you mentioned it, Jake, that, that what Ohio State's defense is going to be up against, if I want to get a good Penn State offense because I want to see what Jim Knowles' defense can do. Trevor, Agreed. if you're playing a cover, a team that is – they, they are addicted to playing cover zero and making everything else look like zero. Trevor, when you if you lined up and you see the safeties with heels at nine, what's going through your mind? I'm picking my – Baddest dude, and I'm telling him to run as fast as he can, and I'm going to throw it up there, and we're going to go at these cats all day long. They got Here, a couple bad dudes. A couple bad dudes, no doubt. Here, here's my thought on this game. When I saw on the schedule that it was in-state college, yep. I said, man, this is going to be a good game. When I saw – Penn State lose the way they did to Michigan, I said, ooh, is this going to be a good game? <laughs> and then the fact that it's in-state college, but it's not a night game, is yeah. the best-case scenario for Ohio State. 
amongst all the other reasons that we've talked about on the show, I think that CJ Stroud in that offense is head and shoulders above maybe any other offense in this country at this point. And if they just keep doing what they're doing, I don't think it matters much. Now, Sean Clifford can make it interesting. Like you said, Jake, I think when he's rolling and he's on, uh, they can play play with, hang with anybody in the country. Uh, but that definitely doesn't mean that they're going to win the football game. I like Ohio State in this one. Um, and Ohio State is, uh, I think, at the top of the country at, at this point. Yeah, I, listen, hang with is not the same as win. And those are two completely different things. And right. I, 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 so let's let's go to this one. And I'll kick it back to you, Jake. Can Michigan State even hang with Michigan? I, I want to say this, though. Penn State, Ohio State. If you hang with them, that's what you no, – you're never going to sit there and say, yeah, we're going to win this one. You okay. just need to hang with it and give yourself a chance at the end of the game. Chance at the like, end. Your point. And you can live with that. And you can yeah. live with – and you're at home, and this is a matchup. It, college football – like, why does A&M yeah. always play Bama well? I don't yeah. know. No one knows. It's, why does Michigan State play Michigan well? Well, I don't know. It's college football. It's one of those things when Penn State's at home, it's the same thing. Can Michigan State play with Michigan? On paper, it says no. Yeah. But it said no on paper as, since I was a freshman in college, you know, and <laughs> it's ask, never mattered. Let me it's ask this before we, before we move on. Is the, is the horrible blemish to Michigan, um, is that really indicative of this Penn State team or – are, we, are they better than that, or are they capable of being beat like that against Ohio State? There, I, I've said this, like, the, for so long, there's, like, two Penn State teams. Yeah. I, it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe There's Jekyll like it's, and Hyde. It's, it's an alternate reality, basically. It's like the, the universe splits in two. Who is going to – in one universe, Penn State shows up and they're a top-10 team. In another universe, they show up and they're just not even a top-25 team. I don't know. It's it like that night. Up. It's like the night you go out and you have and you have fifteen beers and you're like, <laughs> dude, I don't feel anything. And then the next day you go and you have one and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm wasted. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's, good. that's good. Yeah, bad example. Keep going. No, I love it. That was fantastic. <laughs> so I want to. I do want to talk about Michigan State and Michigan because listen, Mel Tucker got all this money, got the huge, got the huge raise. Did a lot of work with transfers, lost a bunch of guys to the next level and to graduation. Um, I will say this, gonna have to lower my voice. My wife did go to Michigan State, and she's her cousin, her cousin is Cole Chewins, who was their left tackle. Like she she has stopped, she's she's going to trunk or treat on Saturday because she's not gonna watch this game. She's scared of what's gonna happen. I'll tell you this. I don't want to say it too loud because I don't want her to have too much con- this to get passed around. You should never feel good about this game because yeah. it's one of those games where X's and O's, they don't matter. Yeah. Logic doesn't matter. <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this story. We were playing them in 2016. Yeah. We were heavily favorited. Yep. We were a talented, talented football team. And then you know what happened that week? Hand, foot, mouth outbreak on campus and specifically in the football team. <laughs> the statistical likelihood of that happening at any point is like zero. But specifically in Michigan State, 
like, listen, man, I'm about to put on the tinfoil hat. I'm like, listen, it's Michigan State week. Expect the unexpected because things like that happen. The trouble with the snap. I was in practice all year. I never saw us muff even bobble one snap ever. Happens in the game. Things happen in this game. You're worried. Completely off script. And Michigan State expects it. It's time for Michigan to start expecting it and to respond to it because you have to. <laughs> First of all, how did you – I just – I got to go. Can I just go back one second? Hand, foot, and mouth, that's like kid's disease. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Like that's They're, like that's like a daycare disease. I think that was artificially injected somehow. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm like, I'm a tinfoil hat guy. I'm like, man, there's no way there's a hand foot mouth outbreak. And it was like, I had, I happened to have strep throat that week. I was like, I thought I was one of the guys. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I trust me because I saw dudes with hand foot mouth. It it literally looks like chicken pox for an adult. It's, it's disgusting. It's gross. We had multiple starters that had hand, foot, mouth. There was like a room of us getting out. We had had to quarantine that week. We were quarantining before COVID. We were quarantining before it was cool. Um, It was was the crazy. We had IVs before game at halftime. But, like, that's what happens Michigan State week. If you don't expect it, you can expect to lose. Expect the unexpected. So, yeah, expect to get hand, foot, and mouth. It's not good. You're going to have blisters in your mouth, and your hands are going to have rashes. Don't. So this is real. So realistically, let's look at like Blake Corum. Obviously, is a Heisman candidate, and JJ McCarthy is a guy that we want to see win that big one, a big win a game that that you know a rivalry game, obviously. And then most folks want to see him win that game at the end of the year against Ohio State. So who's more important going into this game, JJ or, or Corum? I, I I would start here, but I want to kick it to Trevor. Yeah. Um, to me, it's JJ because the way I see it is you're just putting these little notches on your belt. They're like experiences. The first time you sure. ride a roller coaster, you you actually think you're going to die. By the third time, you're like, all right, click, 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 click. I know what's on the other side of this. It's going to be fun, right? Okay, well, you beat Iowa. Great defense on the road in your first sure. true road start. Great. Check that box. You beat Penn State, an excellent defense at home, and you handled business. Check. This one's different because it's a rivalry game. Yeah. And I'm interested as a quarterback, Trevor, does that actually matter? Does do, does. do you consider does that experience ha- have weight for you? It does. We played Texas every year in the Cotton Bowl. Same deal. Doesn't matter where you're ranked, the year you were having, does not matter. Throw it all out the window. Anything can happen inside that stadium. So I I love rivalry weeks because of that reason. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Jake. Um, it is a big game for J.J. McCarthy. He has to play well in this one. That being said, I think it is more important for Blake Corum, who has a huge target on his back. He is the bell cow. He is the constant in this offense to go out and continue to do what he's done week in and week out. He, he will be in New York, Jake. And Max Ooh. Duggan will not be with him, but he will be in New York with the way that he's playing. He has an opportunity to continue that in a big-time rivalry game, and I really look forward to watching it. I think they both have to play well, if you want to be really honest, though. They both have yeah. to play really, really well. 
Yeah, they 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 do. Um, so I'm going to save the Mel Tucker discussion for when we talk about Jimbo Fisher because I think both of those guys kind of feel intrinsically tied together, um, with the raises and the you know you know what I'm talking like the salary and the whole deal. So we're going to yeah. talk about those guys at the same time. Um, but let's move on to Illinois at Nebraska because I know we only what have we got 10, 15 minutes left. So let's move on to Illinois at Nebraska. I mean this this Illinois team, what they're doing is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're playing great defense. Bielema's figuring it out. And he do you think that he's building a lasting culture, Trevor? I think the verdict's still out there. Um, you know, you take Brett Bielema and you, you just kind of trace back, you know. Yeah. And we'll just stop at Arkansas because um, that's where we have a lot of memories of, of him and uh, as a head coach. And well, know, I'm older than you, so I got memories from Wisconsin, too. Well, yeah, no, I, I'm just stopping there, right? Um, and no, I'm, I, I I'm get it. I, yeah. I, I think that he's always done – I think he's a great coach. Let yeah. me say that first and foremost. I think that he's always gotten to a, a, a certain level. If you're, if you're climbing Mount Everest, they have base camps. And you get to different base camps. And he gets to one where you can barely kind of get your breath a little bit. Right. But he's just never made it to the summit. He's never planted Got the it. flag in the ground. And, and I, Fair. I'm hard pressed at this point to say that he has the ability to get there. Now, not discounting what he's done at, at Illinois this year. I think it's fantastic. He was my toast. He doesn't like me. He thought I was a horrible football player, but he is doing a phenomenal job. And guess what? He's putting himself in a position to go and get a conference championship. Now, right. all of us here will say nobody out of the West has a shot to go. One game. In the East. But one game, one game. I just want to see it at the party. I just want to see it at the party, and and he's putting them in a position to do that. Yeah, this is literally this is a one game. Like, listen, he might he could be Mister Steal Your Girl, like just that one time. Just show up, show up. His fit is right, and guess what? She's not going home with you tonight. So this is going to be <laughs> very like he. All he wants is a shot, and I think that I think he's putting himself in that position. Jake, when you look at them and you look at what they're doing in the league, I mean, they've got to be kicking themselves over that, that one loss. But at the end of the day, this is a team that we know who they are. Listen, are they going to score 45 points? Absolutely not. No. But are you going to score 45 points? Absolutely not. You better. You're lucky if you get 17. What do you think about them? I, I think this is this roster, top to bottom on both sides of the ball, I might put them third best in the conference to be nice. completely honest with you. They've Ohio done, state, Michigan, and then Illinois. I, they got a better O line than Penn state. And no, I'm and, not, I'm not disagreeing. I'm, the, I'm, I'm, I'm saying those are the only the Ohio state and Michigan are the only two ahead of them. Is yeah. What you're saying. Yeah. And chase yeah. Brown is, is probably amazing. Of, yeah. Chase Brown. Um, DeVito, and Sean Tucker. I love what well, DeVito DeVito, I would say, is quietly putting out this season. He doesn't get the credit he deserves, but he's extremely efficient. And when his number's been called, like you talked about stepping up in the pocket and keeping your eyes downfield earlier, he does that. I've seen it with my own. That's very rare for quarterbacks to do. Like it's easy to get happy feet in the pocket. The defensive unit at all three levels is extremely elite in the way they play defense in terms of disguising things. And in terms of how good Quan Martin and, and Quan Martin and Witherspoon are as cornerbacks, 
you can sit there and press man and it'll look the same as cover three and it'll look the same as any other defense. And that presents so many problems for them. Those three guys they have, they, I, I said this, it's 900 pounds. It's, it's Avery, it's Randolph. And, um, it's, uh, what they got, the, they got the law firm. It's, um, Newton, Newton, yeah. Avery and Randolph, 900 pounds. These guys can move, though. They can move, yeah. and they can get after the pass rusher. I'm like, that's so unbelievably value valuable when you're running a 3-4 scheme to have two Vortex that can explode and be disruptive physically but are very, very quick and can move. And Ryan Walters is a future head coach. Both their coordinators are doing a phenomenal job. It's just like they check a lot of boxes for me. They need to do it, though. Like you said, Trevor, it's like, can you plant the flag? Can you get over the like you have to prove it that you can handle it now? Now you're the hunted, way yeah. different than the hunter. Yep. How do you respond to that challenge? I gotta ask a crazy question here, Felter, real quick. Okay. <laughs> if Illinois runs the table and somehow on that day beats Ohio State, beats Put Ohio in. State and Put wins the Big Ten, they're obviously in, right? Put them in. Yeah, put them in. Put them in. That's yeah. a good roster. That's a good roster. I, I, Jake, I wanted to. You mentioned they, they, because they play that like, like that four eye with the nose. Yeah. How is that different for you as a tight end compared to teams that usually play that five tech? I mean, a five tech, when you're double teaming, like you might get into a gap scheme and you'll have like a traditional tray block. And it's a tray block is the same for a five tech or a four eye. It's like if, if the tackle's covered, that's it's a double tweet team between yep. the tackle and the in the tight end. If it's a five tech, he's lining up in the gap between the tackle's outside shoulder and my inside shoulder as a tight mm -hmm. end. So that the double team happens now. When it's a four eye, that guard is leaving, so this gap of the inside tackle, it's open now. And these guys are very quick. That's the thing about them is they're 300 pounds, but when you watch them move, Randolph, I, I was talking to his dad pregame, he's a basketball background. And when you watch him move, yep, he's running routes on these tackles. He's crossing them over. He's quick upfield. So That's the sweet. fact he's so fluid – as a tight end, I can't get to his hip and disrupt him and double team him as easily because he's so disruptive and quick. All right, so here we go. We got six, we got five minutes to go on the show. One, this is the first question. Then we're going to talk about the situation going on in, in College Station. But the first question I have for you, and I'm going to start with you, Trevor. You've got AM experience. Who's on a hotter seat? Mel Tucker, especially if he loses this game, or Jimbo Fisher? Um, Ooh, that's a tough one, huh? A tough one. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say Ooh. Mel Tucker has the hotter seat because of the buyout that Jimbo Fisher has. I think Jimbo Fisher, because of the recruiting class that he just had, because of his buyout, has nice. a little bit longer. Now, now, there's a lot of heat coming from the bottom of that seat. That doesn't mean he's going to get out of it quicker. He may have to endure that heat longer than, than Mel Tucker does. I think it's easier to get rid of Mel Tucker sooner than Jimbo Fisher at this point is the way that I'm answering that, and, and, and that's what I'm going to say. Go ahead, my man. 
Jake, what you got? Based, based on what I know, that it it, it 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 isn't Michigan State. Like Mel Tucker's bought himself time. He's bought himself a year or two. Based on what I see going on in A and M, and based on the deep deep pockets that has oil money down there in in Texas, it's like, hey, <laughs> yeah, well, we can afford the buyout. I mean, it's it's it, I it's neither neither situation is pretty though, but it's about expectations and meeting them. And when you fall short, that seat gets a little toasty. To me, though, the expectations for A and M. I mean, look at where they were ranked to start the season. Six. Yep. A&M or or Michigan State, I I always felt this was going to be a regression year. I always felt they were going to regress and it was going to take time to build the class. A&M, you sold me on something and now I didn't get I didn't get the product I was promised. And and I'll say this about A&M. I I do watch a lot of A&M football being being a a fan and a former player and um, to to go on year two of not having a guy at the quarterback position that can get it done week in and week out. And I say year two is last year was a miracle. They played with a guy who is now either the third or fourth string guy at Auburn. Yeah. And they beat Alabama and they won some games and they, they snuck by with a winning season. You think that Jimbo Fisher and that staff weren't looking around going, we got to find a guy. And to still not have that guy after multiple years of recruiting and now going on year two of instability at the position, that's what raises my antennas and says, ooh, this isn't good. Not to mention all the stuff going on off the field. Now, let's be honest real quick. All of this stuff that goes on off the field gets heightened when you're losing games. I truly believe that winning cures all. And, yes, you're going to always have guys that aren't doing right, but when you're losing and they just want to pile it on your shoulders in the media – it comes out more and more and more. So I, I don't think it's any different than any other year, but it's just piled on when you're when you're not winning ball games. Yeah, we'll be quick. No, no, no go ahead, Jake. One, one quick thing. Even with the expectations for AM this year, it was always about 23, though. It was always it was always saying, hey, we're gonna just trust us, 23 is gonna be the year. Okay, well, the clock's ticking. Clock's ticking. If if it's the same result next year at this point in time. Acts. Oh. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. But so, you, I think that they're both. I don't think any. Just I don't think anyone gets gets a chopping block this year. A and M or at Michigan State. I think they both get afforded till next year. Yeah, I think they both push the next year. I will say, obviously, the 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 off the field stuff we're talking about. Three A and uh, players rumored to be suspended. Um, we're going to see what happens. Obviously, they had some guys suspended to start the season, uh, including Ania Smith. So. We're gonna see what goes on there. Let's 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 wrap up on this. AM, they've got Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, UMass, and LSU. Five games left. They're a three and four football team. Five left. They're three and four. How many of those can they put in the bag to get to a bowl game? Five left. They're three and four. They need three out of Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, UMass, and LSU. UMass, I'm gonna give it to them. All right. So they need two. Out of Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, and LSU. They beat Auburn. Okay, so we're we're five. I think I think they I I hate saying this, but if we're just talking about it right now, I, I don't think they make a bowl game this year. There we go, folks. 
We're power. Listen, that's it. We're done. It's tough to swallow. And and our producers are going to tweet that out. And all my Indian faithful is going to hate me because that was too easy to clip. But I, I, I'm just I'm just going my chest here. All right, folks. Thank you so much. Obviously, thank you for tuning in to Field of 12 After Dark, powered by Bet Rivers. You can check us out. We got some shirts at fieldof68.shop. And, of course, you can catch us on the SiriusXM app. For Trevor, for Jake, I'm Michael Felder. Peace out.